I have been married, I have been married 25 years. When I met Jenny, I was not looking for a girlfriend or a wife or a soulmate. Um, now, don't get me wrong, I had been earlier. I had really wanted a girlfriend bad. And I even, I remember praying and I was like, God, please give me someone. God, I just need, I need you to hug me. I need to know your love in the form of another person. Please, God, <laughs> please, please, please. Um, but I had one bad date after another. So I just, I, I concluded Max Vanderpool, you're just not going to have a girlfriend. That's just how it's going to play out in life. Just get over it and move on. So when I met Jenny, I didn't have a list. I also didn't have a list of characteristics of a godly wife. I had never been in a youth group where we had done a purity pledge. I didn't have a true love weights ring. When I met Jenny, uh, I did not have a clue of what you should and should not be looking for in a potential spouse. No one had ever walked me through that. Do you know what happened? I simply noticed her and, and I thought, wow. <laughs> Some of you have been there, okay? Wow. Now, my roommate had to pin me to the ground. His forearm was on my neck. His 200 and some pounds was on my chest, and he, was, he had me pinned to the ground, and he said, this is what Andrew said, Max Vanderpool, you're either going to date her or you're going to walk away. You are flirting, and you do not know you're flirting, and it's driving me crazy. <laughs> and I actually had to, I was pinned there for a while because I really was thinking, what, should, I, should I ask her out? Should I not? You know, I was panicked, but I made a decision, and I, you know, he let me free. Can <laughs> It's a true story. You can ask him. His name's Andrew. He's a Facebook friend of mine. So can we, can we agree today that dating and romance and relationships are difficult? They're difficult. And part of the reason that they're difficult is because we've bought into a myth that there's one person out there for you. One person. The one. Okay? We, and, and your job, we're told, your job in life is to find the one and lock in. This is how it typically works. You go, wow, or ooh, I really like you. I really like you. And then your friends are saying things like, she is so good for you, and, or he is so good for you, and he's so yummy. I want one too. And, and, and they're encouraging you in it. And before you know it, you're spending hours together texting and on the phone, and, and you just you feel this connection. And these days, because of the way things work in culture, you, you probably move in or you get married or something like that. And then a few months down the road, problems start happening, and you're like, what? What? That person, that person right there, they have issues. They have issues. And then all of a sudden, you have relationship issues because you're in a relationship. And, and things get really bumpy. And so uh, the guy typically thinks, especially men in their, in their 20s, the guy thinks, I know what will fix this. We just need to have sex more. 
And the girl thinks, oh, no, uh-uh. see, you're going to fix this before you ever get to first base again. And so that's how it kind of, and so sometimes, though, the woman is a little scared she's going to lose the man. So she thinks to herself, I know what will help. We'll have a baby. The baby will fix everything, and it'll just draw us closer together. And what happens is she's breastfeeding, and she's tired, and she's hormonal. And so sex goes away entirely. And then the guy runs into Denise. Oh my goodness, Denise, how are you? Holy cow, we went to prom together. I didn't expect. And there's like chemistry and there's like this thing. And then before he knows it, he's had sex with Denise and he looks back at his wife and he says, oh my goodness, I married the wrong person. Can we agree this is a very stupid way of going about things in America? Now, part of the problem is we drop the A, but that's another sermon for another day, okay? But a big reason, a big reason we do this is because we have bought into the myth of a soulmate, a soulmate. And if they'll put my soulmate picture up there, oh, come on, come on. This is just a version of the notebook. Come on, all right? I, I pulled an article. It's brand new, right from the Huffington Post. The 10 elements of a soulmate. How do you know you found your soulmate? It's just something inside. Describing how a soulmate makes you feel is difficult. It's tenacious, profound, lingering. Uh, you just get each other. You're mentally inseparable. Soulmates. Soulmates often have a mental connection similar to twins. You know it. They pick up the phone to call each other at the same time. You feel secure. Quit laughing. You feel secure. You are making, this is on the Huffington Post, and people are reading this to get guidance so that they can find their soulmate, and you are dissing them in the house of God. You can't imagine your life without him or her, okay? You look each other in the eye. They have a tendency, you know, soulmates, they just have this tendency. They look each other in the eye. Their eyes lock, okay? Now we're all avoiding eye contact, <laughs> okay, right? So here's the thing. I, Christians buy into this. Christians, Christians will use God language. Instead of a soulmate, they'll talk about the one, the one God has. I've heard people say a version of this. I'm just waiting for the one God has for me. And I know that when that time comes, he's going to, his spirit, I, I'm going to, I'll know. And I just want to cry when I hear them say this, okay? So this idea is all over the, fa it's all over Facebook, it's all over the internet, and it's the same thing as looking for a unicorn. <laughs> Can I get my unicorn up there? This is what you are looking for if you are waiting around for a soulmate. Now, here's the good news. If you repost this picture on Facebook, Mark Zuckerberg will give you one. <laughs> no, he won't, because you want that? Unicorns aren't real. They're not real. It's a mythical figure. This is digitally altered. This is a horse that's been digitally altered, okay? Online, online digital matchmaking feeds into this myth. Because online at match.com, eHarmony, you're told that 
there's this magical algorithm. You put in your data, she puts in her data, and the computer will do the number crunching and will you'll find your perfect match. Now, I don't have a problem with online dating portals. As a pastor, I've actually married couples, done their wedding ceremonies who met online, okay? And in a minute, I'll talk about pros and cons of that. But, but you gotta love this. Beat the odds, bet on love with eHarmony. And you can click on the picture and they all have a story and we met on eHarmony and now we're married and it's just awesome, okay? Match.com, same thing if you go to match.com. The next picture, boom. Uh, you, that, this is a screenshot. I didn't take the next step because I'm married, <laughs> right? But I took this screenshot for you. Look at all those people. You could meet any of them. And don't they look, it's weird how they're always young and attractive, <laughs> okay? So the shift to digital matchmaking Sociologists are studying this. In just a few short years, digital matchmaking will become the dominant way that Americans form romantic relationships. This shift is as profound as the sexual revolution of the 1960s. But woven into it is this myth of the perfect soulmate, the, the, the one, okay? Now, there are some benefits and costs. And so if we could get those up there. The benefit of going online is that it's a safe place. Can we agree there's some creepy guys out there? There's some creepy guys, okay? This is a safe place. The other thing is it's a big pool of people. When you're from Rawl, Indiana, population 80, sometimes a bigger pool to fish in is a good thing, okay? So there's some benefits. There's some, the costs. There, there are always others. In a 2011 study on digital matchmaking, uh, one young man, as, as they were processing his story, he had met someone online, they had gotten married, they got divorced six months later, and he was asked, you know, how that felt. And he said, well, you know, I didn't worry about it so much because, and I want to quote him, I can always find another. All the women just went, what? I want his name. He will be tarred and feathered now. Bring him forth. <laughs> the dog, okay? So the other thing, the other thing, the other downside to this is that Match.com CEO admitted that the majority of their users are return customers. Think that through. <laughs> So they met someone, they got together, and it didn't work, so now they're back into the pool. So apparently the big algorithm is not as successful as you would be, as you would be led to think. And, and that's true, right? A computer, a computer can't get all the mystery of human identity and attraction. There really is a mystery to it, this unquantifiable, you know, why did I notice Jenny on that day? Why was the electric bulk? I don't know. It just it was there. Okay, so Jonathan Grant, and if you'll put this quote up, Jonathan Grant says this in his book, Divine Sex, people will become less willing to work through the inevitable rough patches and issues within marriage or relationships when there is an ocean of alternatives to be explored. The phrase that best sums up how we're approaching our romantic and sexual relationships in America is this phrase right here, definitely, maybe, Definitely you, maybe. 
And, and there's a, yes, hopefully, quality to it. And that's kind of what, where we are as a culture. Um, I know a lot of people who have said to me about their husband or a wife, Max, I married the wrong person. I know a lot of young women who are just deeply troubled because they, and they said, I kept myself pure. I went on short-term mission trips. I did everything right and I'm 31 and there is no one on the horizon and God has let me down. And they're angry and some of them are bitter that God did not fulfill his end of the bargain. And this is messing things up. It's messing things up. So what exactly does the Bible have to say about finding the one or finding your soulmate? Well, actually it doesn't. It has a lot to say about marriage, has a lot to say about being single, has a lot to say about sex and sexuality, has a lot to say about becoming the person God wants you to be. And so I actually want to read through the entire chapter of 1 Corinthians 7. I thought, uh, I thought this would be good for you to just hear what Paul is saying this entire chapter, because a lot of it's pretty straightforward. So I, in a sense, I want the Bible to speak today, Okay. So f f the church in Corinth, if you don't know anything about it, it was wackadoodle. <laughs> they were doing all kinds of crazy stuff. Just read your introduction in your Bible, and it will tell you the crazy stuff that was going on. So Paul's writing a letter to this group of Christians. So the good news is, hey, we've been messed up since the beginning, okay? And the other good news is God takes that messed upness and can bring about redemption and restoration and wholeness. So... This is what Paul says in chapter 7. Now, regarding the questions you asked in your letter, yeah, it's good to live a celibate life. But because there's so much sexual immorality, man should have his own wife and each woman should have her own husband. The husband should fulfill his wife's sexual needs and the wife should fulfill her husband's needs. The wife gives authority over her body to her husband and the husband gives authority over his body to his wife. Don't deprive each other of sexual relations unless you both agree to refrain from sexual intimacy for a limited time so you can give yourselves more completely to prayer. Afterward, you should come together again so Satan won't be able to tempt you because of your lack of self-control. I say this as a concession, not as a command, but I wish everyone were single, just as I am. But God gives the gift of marriage to some and to others the gift of singleness. So I say to those who aren't married and to widows, hey, it's better to stay unmarried just as I am. But if they can't control themselves, they should go ahead and marry. It's better to marry than burn with lust. But for those who are married, I have a command that comes from me, not from the Lord. A wife must not leave her husband. But if she does, let her remain single or else be reconciled. And the husband must not leave his wife. Now I will speak to the rest of you, though I do not have a direct command from the Lord. Again, he's giving advice. It's not... Uh, if a man, Christian man, has a wife who's not a believer and she's willing to continue living with him, he must not leave her. And if a Christian woman has a husband who's not a believer and he's willing to continue living with her, she must not leave him. For the Christian wife brings holiness to her marriage and the Christian husband brings holiness to his marriage. Otherwise, your children would not be holy, but now they are holy. But if the husband or wife who isn't a believer insists on leaving, let him go. In such cases, the Christian husband or wife is no longer bound to the other, for God has called you to live in peace. Don't you wives realize that your husbands might be saved because of you? And don't you husbands realize that your wives might be saved because of you? Each of you should continue to live in whatever situation the Lord has placed you 
and remain as you were when God first called you. This is my rule for all the churches. For instance, a man who was circumcised before he became a believer shouldn't try to reverse it, and the man who was uncircumcised now that he became a believer shouldn't be circumcised now. It makes no difference whether or not a man has been circumcised. The important thing is to keep God's commands. Yes, each of you should remain as you were. Are you a slave? Don't let that worry you. But if you get a chance to be free, take it. And remember, if you were a slave when the Lord called you, you're now free in the Lord. And if you're free when the Lord called you, you're now a slave to Christ. God paid a high price for you, so don't be enslaved by the world. Each of you, dear brothers and sisters, should remain as you were when God first called you. Now, regarding your question about young women who are not yet married, I don't have a command from the Lord for them. But the Lord in his mercy has given me wisdom so that can be trusted. So, hey, I'll share it with you. Because of the present crisis, I think it's best to remain as you are. Are you picking up a theme? If you have a wife, do not seek to end the marriage. If you don't have a wife, don't seek to get married. But if you do get married, it's not a sin. And if a young woman gets married, it's not a sin. However, those who get married at this time will have troubles. And all the married people said, amen. And I am trying to spare you these problems. But let me say this, dear brothers and sisters, the time that remains is short. So from now on, those with wives should not focus only on their marriage. Those who weep or rejoice or buy things should not be absorbed by their weeping or their joy or their possessions. Those who use the things of the world should not become attached to them, for this world as we know it will soon pass away. I want you to be free from the concerns of this life. An unmarried man can spend his time doing the Lord's work and thinking about how to please him, but a married man has to think about his earthly responsibilities and how to please his wife. His interests are divided. In the same way, a woman who is no longer married or has never been married can be devoted to the Lord and holy in body and spirit, but a married woman has to think about her earthly responsibilities and how to please her husband. I'm saying this for your benefit, not to put restrictions on you. I want you to do whatever will help you serve the Lord best with as few distractions as possible. But if a man thinks that he's treating his fiancée improperly and will inevitably give in to his passion, let him marry her as he wishes. It's not a sin. But if he's decided firmly not to marry and there's no urgency and he can control his passion, he does well not to marry. So the person who marries his fiancée does well and the person who doesn't marry her does even better. A wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives. If, he, if her husband dies, she's free to marry anyone she wishes, but only if he loves the Lord. But in my opinion, it would be better for her to stay single, and I think I'm giving you counsel from God's Spirit when I say this. That's a good chapter. It's a, he's dealing, this is a, here's an apostle, and he's dealing with stuff and issues, and he's giving advice. Being single is a gift from God. This is a radical statement for the first century. Ancient cultures, your worth was tied to your ability to make babies, men and women, to have heirs. The fact that the early church supported widows meant that these women were free, they were free to choose whether or not they wanted to marry. They didn't have to marry in order to be provided for. That's, that's a big deal. That's a huge deal. Being married is a gift from God. We see that in this passage as well. And one is not inherently preferred or better than the other. All right? One of the things that can happen in churches is that we put marriage on a pedestal to where we say, this is the ideal. And if you are not married, you are less of a person. Can I just say, that's like wackadoodle. <laughs> it's not in the Bible. You are made in the image of God. 
and you do not need another person to complete you. What you need is God. <laughs> okay? So Paul, in this passage, was glad that he was single because it put him utterly at God's disposal. If God said, hey, Paul, I want you to go to Macedonia. Okay. Oh, wait. Hey, Paul, I want you to go to Rome now. Okay. He could just turn on, the, on a dime. He didn't have to consult anybody. He didn't have to say, okay, Denise, I, you know, I think God's calling me to go to Macedonia. What do you think? Right? Uh, the other thing that, Paul, uh, that made Paul glad he was single is because his work was dangerous. I don't know if you followed it, but he was beaten. He was left for dead almost twice. Having a wife and kids in that mix, in that dangerous mix, that'll rip your heart out. Uh, the other thing is that he's saying in this passage is he's saying, hey, good news. It's just me. I'm a cheap date. It's just, I don't have, a, I don't have this whole crew that I got to feed and provide for. It's just me. So I, I've got, my expenses are less, all right? So he's saying in this passage, a single celibate life is a good life. Every bit as good as a married life. One's not better than the other. Now, I feel a need to say this and draw this out, and they'll put this passage up there. Um, and it's uh, that uh, 1 Corinthians, I think it's 7, 9. Sex outside the bonds of marriage is forbidden in Scripture. I feel a need to say this because I have a lot of conversations. And, and if you're an Asbury student, I apologize. This applies to no one in the room today. But in years past, in years past, I've had Asbury students come to me. These are usually young men, and they'll say something to the effect of, hey, Max, I know that adultery is forbidden in the Ten Commandments, but really, the Bible really doesn't say that sex outside of marriage is bad. Like, if it's too people committed to loving each other. doesn't matter whether they're married or not. You know, it's okay. I will, and I will have them say this. Now, usually when they say this, I have the pastoral insight to go, okay, this is probably, there's an issue below here, right? So you're probably, you got a girlfriend. Yes, I got a girlfriend. You're active, aren't you? Okay, so yes, there's sexual activity going on. And they have angst because they have the Holy Spirit in them and they're trying to kind of navigate this out. And so, Paul is saying something very important here. He says, if they cannot control themselves, they should marry. For it's better to marry than burn with passion. What's implied here? The implication is that if they don't get married, they won't be sexually fulfilled. Did you know that in ancient cultures, many, many, many of them, sex outside of marriage had big consequences. So a lot of times in the Bible, it's, that is implied but in Paul's statement here, we see it for what it is. If I were writing a pastoral letter in 2016, I wouldn't phrase it this way because I would know Americans, there's, nobody's gonna burn with passion. If they're together, they'll move in, they'll have sex. That's how Americans do things. And I wouldn't be writing it this way because I would assume there's no angst if they don't get married because they're gonna do it anyway. But Paul, in writing this letter, he, his cultural context is different and he's saying, I don't want you to burn from the inside out. You know, if you love her, if you love them, just get married, okay? There's tremendous freedom in that, isn't there? Are you hearing the freedom that you have in this passage? You want to be single? Great. You're free to be single. You want to marry? Marry. It's okay. And you're free to choose. If you go back a chapter in 1 Corinthians 6, there's this 
kind of strange section, verses 15 through 20, and they'll put it up here. And he says this, don't you realize that your bodies are actually parts of Christ? Should a man take his body, which is part of Christ, and join it to a prostitute? Never. And don't you realize that if a man joins himself to a prostitute, he becomes one body with her? For the scriptures say the two are united into one. Again, Paul is saying something significant here. He's saying what we talked about two weeks ago, namely, sex isn't just something physical. The, the older people in this room can tell you, yep, some of them have stories. They'll say, you know, when I was younger, I did things I regret and it put me on these paths. Some of them would say, I got into a relationship with someone and because we went sexual quickly, I wasn't thinking clearly. It kind of messed with me. There, I've heard people say, I know I should get out of this, but it's like I can't shake him. I can't shake her. I know in my head what to do, but my heart's messing me up. There's this sex is more than just sex. And that's what he's saying in this passage. So he says in verse 18, run from sexual sin. No other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. It's, it's an immorality. It's a sin against your body. Don't you realize that your body's the temple of the Holy Spirit? You don't belong to yourself. God bought you with a price. Honor God with your body. Here's the good news. You're free to marry. You're free to be single. You can choose and that's good news. And God will be in your singleness and God will be in your marriage if you let him. He will. But God does not have a soulmate or the one set aside for you. But he does love you just like a good parent does. All right? And that includes how we make these decisions and these romantic decisions. So I want to talk to you about some, so this, take this 1 Corinthians 7, what do we do with this? What are some application things? Can I ask you a favor? Would you stop looking for a unicorn? Please, please stop looking for a unicorn. For those of you that are younger, you're 14, 15, 16, there is not some magical one person out there for you. You could probably marry lots of different people and you're free to do that. You are free to do that. But don't buy into the myth that there's one person because it can make you do crazy, stupid things. There are no unicorns. Can we all be agreed? Say this with me. There are no unicorns. Okay, stop looking for a unicorn. Now, young people, you are being told a lie in that the lie of the perfect soulmate. And here's how it plays out. What happens is you get this person and as soon as you encounter trouble, you think to yourself, oh, I'm with the wrong person. If I was just with the right person, everything would be working. Now that I've got 25 years under my belt, can I just tell you, that's not how it works. The married people in this room will tell you that's not how it works. When Jenny and I were married the first year, do you know what we did the most? Fought. We fought, we fought really well. We fought so well, in fact, it involved people in other apartments around us. <laughs> One day I hacked her off so much that she started throwing books and shoes at me. The, the irony of it is that the, there were older ladies in the laundry room underneath who heard the boom, 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 boom. And when she went out to her car to go to work the next morning, one of them went out to her and was like, oh honey, I know what it is. If he's beating you, we need to call the police. <laughs> and she had to fess up and say, no, I was the one that was throwing stuff. <laughs> okay. So 
There's hard stuff. Two years ago, I almost lost her to blood clots. And that was a long year of recovery. That was work and effort, okay? Marriage and a relationship in marriage isn't something that's easy. You work at it. It's, there's hard parts to it, and there's good parts. Um, marriage has been a means of grace in my life. And here's the part I didn't expect. It's been a means of grace so that I can see painful truths about myself that I need to change and work on. Let me give you an example, right? Um, I, early on, I, I'm a recovering OCD perfectionist. In the first year of our marriage, I had to have the apartment a particular way, and I relegated my teacher wife to this little space in the living room. Can I just tell you, that is so not cool. <laughs> that is so not cool. But I did that. Oh, okay? And she stayed with me. We're all lucky. She stayed with me, okay? So... I would encourage you, if you're younger, there are people in this room, start having a conversation. You might even start with your parents. Ask your parents, why did you marry mom? Why did you marry dad? What did you see in them? And then what's one issue you've had to work on or work through because you were married? Now, moms and dads, this is not an opportunity for you to rat out your spouse. Well, let me tell you what your dad needs to work on. <laughs> okay, that always goes to a dark place. <laughs> okay, so you can talk about you, don't talk about your spouse, all right? Married people, here's an application point. Don't ever, 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 ever in your head or out of your mouth say this phrase, I married the wrong person. You married who you married. It's where you are, okay? Decisions and choices put you on roads that take you places. And you chose that person and you were free to do that. So don't let that phrase get in your head because it takes you to unhealthy places, okay? And besides, there are no unicorns, all right? So now here's, here's the realm of advice. This is just me as your old friendly cousin Max or Uncle Max or whatever, just giving some advice, okay? If you have issues, if you have any drama or angst in your life, your spouse, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, they're going to catch it. An indicator is if you find yourself saying, all I said was, when I was early on with Jenny, this is, all I said was, I don't want us to be late. What are you so mad about, Jenny? Issue. <laughs> okay. There's an indicator. Work on those issues now. Identify them now. Work on them now. People that you are romantically interested in, in later will thank you for it. Work on them now, okay? Another bit of advice. Those of you that think you want to lock in with somebody, please don't wait two years to get married. What? I, and I get it. I had, a, I had a, someone tell me in the last year that, that got married, they said this. It's not anybody in this congregation. I am so, I'm so looking forward to this wedding because for one day, I'm finally going to be a celebrity. And I thought, oh, <laughs> okay. I know weddings are a big deal and you get to kind of be a prince or a princess for a day and all this stuff. But when you, when you know you're going to lock in and the engagement is two or three years down the road, that's a long time to wait. That's all I'm saying. This is friendly advice. Um, Avoid moving in with someone, okay? Can I talk about cohabitation for a moment? I know it's the norm culturally, but if, you have, if you're thinking to yourself, well, I just want to try and see if this works. If you're saying that, 
Isn't that kind of a flag, right? <laughs> Isn't that kind of a... The irony is that now social science is telling us these are liberal people at liberal institutions. Moving in actually is an indicator that the marriage is, has a less of a chance of working. Now, they can't figure out if it's because of the cohabitation itself or if it's because of the way that the people think and make decisions who happen to cohabitate. The, some of you will get that distinction, but they haven't figured out. They just know that there's a correlation, okay? So don't move in. Lot, you know, marry, be single, but, but don't do the Twilight Zone stuff. It, it, you know, it, it, okay? Here's the last little advice for some of you. Just get married. If you love them, you love her, and you've got, you have this sense, yeah, I, I, I think I'm ready to commit, and you've run it by parents and friends and family, and they're like, yeah, get married. You're free to do that. Some of you, stay single. You've had two relationships, and all the people in your life have been like, what are you doing? Okay, that's, that's, a, that's probably an indicator. There's some stuff to work on. Stay single, but you're free to choose. That's all I want to say today is you're free to choose. I've chosen marriage. That does not make me better than people who've chosen singleness. It doesn't. It's just a different set of circumstances. If we can glean anything from 1 Corinthians, it's this. Singleness is a gift from God. Marriage is a gift from God. And God gives good gifts to his children. And thank God there are no unicorns. <laughs> Will you pray with me? God, I pray that you would help us to be wise that we would be wise, that we would not chase after unicorns for those of us who aren't married and that we wouldn't think that somehow we miss the unicorn for those of us who are married. In whatever circumstances we find ourselves, it's where we are. And, where we're, and, and right where we are, we want to honor you. So would you help us to walk out our faith in such a way that we love well and live well and do as best we can through the leading and empowerment of your spirit to follow our King Jesus wherever we find ourselves. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Amen.